Hi, and welcome back to the Connected Divergence podcast. I'm Tina Etheridge. I'm your coach, your host. And today I'm going to be talking to you about time blindness, or how I like to call it, the non-linear perception of time. Because that's really what it is, right? Like, as ADHDers, time is a construct. Our perception of time is not... It's not in any way like, oh yeah, here's a chunk of time that passed, and now I can expect another reasonable chunk of time that will pass. Like, no, absolutely not. It doesn't work that way for us. For our brains, time can move so slowly or so quickly. If we're hyper-focused, it can feel like six hours has gone by in the span of 30 minutes, right? I know we've all had that moment where we've been on our phones in the evening And we're like, oh yeah, just like 30 more minutes of scrolling. And then we wake up and it's 3 a.m., right? So that being said, oh my gosh, my dog's sneezing in the background, sorry. But that being said, (laughs) what I'm going to talk about today is two structural facets to the non-linear perception of time that we experience. So the two structural facets that I'm going to talk about today are number one, more external or environmental. And for this facet of time blindness, this facet can is really just, you know, underlying the core principle of neurodivergence of having ADHD, which is if we don't see it, it doesn't exist. And that includes for time, right? How are we supposed to know that time is passing if we don't see it? We don't know that it exists. And so support tools when it comes to this this principle, as always, are about creating visual auditory cues, right? C- c- creating, you know, stimulation in our environment, cues in our environment that remind us, oh, hey, this is the thing that's important to me. So just like, you know, pulling my roller skates out of the back of my closet, pulling them out of an opaque black bag, putting them out somewhere where I can see them, that reminds me, oh, right, this is something that I care to and want to do. Just like that is the case, the same thing goes for time, right? If this is something that we want to see that it exists, what we need to do is create lots of visual cues. And so that can look like putting clocks all around our visual environment, right? Wherever you tend to rest or sit, having a clock somewhere that looks really, really obvious where you look up and you see it. You know, making sure the clock on your stove is set to the correct time, the clock in your car, um, a clock on your nightstand, a clock, you know, when you're sitting on the couch where you can see it. Using something like um, an app on your phone. There's one I know for iPhone called Chime that will give notifications for every half hour or hour. There's lots of settings you can mess with, but right, all of these things can help us perceive and understand the passing of time. And we can go so far as like have a clock in your shower, right? If you're somebody who showers in the morning before work and you easily lose track of time when you're getting ready, have a clock in your shower, have a clock in your bathroom, you know, on your vanity so that you can see it while you're putting your makeup on. Clocks everywhere. You can't have too many, too few clocks. Um, Wearing a watch, right? Kind of going back to (laughs) the old school, you know, wearing a watch. I guess it's not very old school, but you know what I mean. Um, that's another really great strategy. And then, of course, you know, I'm a big fan of visual timers. If you've never used a visual timer, basically they're, they're just like a timer, like an egg timer that you'd use in your kitchen. But 
there's like a really bright red color so that as the timer ticks down, you see the passing of time and you see that red color getting smaller. So visual timers are a great tool, especially if there's like a, like, okay, I need to set a 30 minute timer. I only have 30 minutes. Let me get this visual timer. They make them big guys. They make them like classroom size. So don't hold back. If that's something that would be helpful for you, check it out. And then of course, my go-to strategy, I use this pretty much every day of my single life, is double barrier alarms and triple barrier alarms. So double barrier alarms are basically setting um, multiple alarms, at least two. Um, the first one being a transition alarm of like, okay, I'm going to set this, you know, well before the time that I need to get things done or do the thing or get up or start getting ready. And I don't have to do anything, but I just need to Right again, create conscious awareness around here's what time it is, and I don't need to stop, but I need to start thinking about stopping. And so, this is again a transition alarm, so it helps my brain be like, All right, I don't have to change anything, but I just need to prepare to go to the next thing. And then, the second alarm is the one that's like, Okay, it's time to go sit at my desk, it's time to go, I don't know, take this thing um, to the mailbox, it's time to go do the thing. Now, triple barrier alarms can be really useful when this is about getting out of the house. So the example I can give for that, the first alarm would be, again, a transition alarm. I don't need to do anything, but I need to start thinking about maybe getting ready to do the thing. The second alarm would be, okay, now it's time for me to start getting ready, getting dressed, doing my hair, doing my makeup, whatever else. And the third alarm is like, I need to get out the door. <laughs> I need to drop everything I'm doing and get out the door. Um... So yeah, that is a strategy. Like I said, I use this pretty much every day. When I am looking through, you know, what is my first session of the day when I'm working with my one-on-one clients? Do I have a doctor's appointment? Whatever else. I use this alarm strategy for everything and I love it. It's helped me so much. For me, um, you know, I've heard a lot of people like using maybe like one alarm and then snoozing repeatedly, but and I'm not saying this is the case for everyone, but for me personally, if I overuse a stimulus, my brain gets numb to it. And so snoozing, right, it happens at such a frequent interval that I just get annoyed and I just keep snoozing it over and over and over again. And I no longer like give it value. Like it doesn't bear any importance to, in my mind anymore. So I'm not a big fan of snoozing, but you do you. Okay, the second structural facet to our non-linear perception of time is not external environmental. Instead, it is internal, experiential, and emotional. And so this structural facet is really about, right, we know, maybe roughly, maybe vaguely, but we know what time it is. It's not that we don't have clocks. It's not that you know, we haven't looked at a clock at all that whole day and anything else. There's clocks on our phone. We're seeing it. We know what time it is, but we ignore it. We push it away. And it's because, you know, for a lot of people, it's because we're experiencing some deep emotions, oftentimes shame, guilt, shame, underlying this experience. So let's say it's the morning time and we're getting ready to go meet up with our friends for a coffee date and that coffee date's at 11 right maybe it's nine o'clock and we know what time it is and it's like okay I need to get start getting ready and we push it away and then we push it away some more and we push it away some more and then it's finally time 
It's 10.30 and we're just jumping in the shower. And we know that we don't have time to get in the shower and yet we're doing it anyway. So this experience is nervous system dysregulation. If you've heard of fight or flight, this is flight. This is flight to a T, right? We, again, maybe vaguely, maybe roughly, but we have an idea of what time it is and how much time we have left um, ish, right? It doesn't have to be perfect, but ish. And yet we're doing absolutely everything except getting ready. <laughs> we're rewiring our front bell, front door doorbell. <laughs> we're, we're cleaning the microwave. We're sweeping the floors. We went to go do an errand that we didn't actually really need to do. And yet we find ourselves doing it anyway, right? And this often happens, this nervous system dysregulation, this flight often happens because we experience deep shame around being late, right? We, we, how do I want to say this? I think so much of this, at least in my personal journey, my personal history, so much of this for me has been about how much I care, right? How much I truly, truly care about my people, right? Like I love my friends. I love my family. I love my people. And I I have this, and I think our culture, our society has this sort of framework in which if you are late, it means that you don't care, right? That is the cultural assumption. That is the societal whatever. Um, if you're late, that means that you don't care. And in my brain, in my life, that could not be further from the truth. If I'm late, if I get hyper-focused and I forget to show up somewhere, like if I forget an appointment, it doesn't mean that I don't care. I could have cared so much. It could have been the most important to me in the whole world and I could still miss it. And that sort of dialogue that, oh yeah, you didn't show up or you showed up 15 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour, two hours late because you don't care, that could not be farther from the truth. And so my shame around being late, around my time blindness, so much of it was because my nervous system was dysregulated because I'm terrified of being misunderstood in this way. I'm terrified of being misinterpreted, perceived in a certain way, judged, criticized, ridiculed, blamed, being a nuisance, being a burden, right? All of these things. That's my deepest fear, <laughs> truly my deepest fear. And so, right, when I experience that discomfort, that emotional, that intense emotional discomfort, my nervous system gets dysregulated. And what happens? I go into flight. So I go and I start doing all of these other things that I don't really need to be doing, but it's because this is my way of avoiding that discomfort. And so when we're talking about the non-linear perception of time and time blindness in this way, right, the emotional, the internal, the experiential, really how we tackle this is not going to be about putting more clocks or using the Chime app or using a visual timer. That's not going to help if we're experiencing this side of things. What we need to do in this instance is ask ourselves, what critically important thing is this shame trying to do for me? And maybe, right, maybe again, the shame is trying to keep us from being judged, keep us from, you know, somebody saying, oh, you must not care about me, keep us from, you know, being disappointing someone else, right? This shame is trying to do something for us. But again, shame is not very good at doing this. And so we need to take our power back from shame. We need to take it for ourselves. And so we get to ask ourselves the question, how can I give myself what shame was trying to do for me? And some examples of this that I can give are 
right? Maybe that looks like telling a friend or family member how much you do care, right? Having that be a real life conversation, saying to someone, hey, I know, you know, in the entirety of relationship that I have been showing up late and I need you to know how important it is for me, for you to know that like none of that reflects how much I care about you and I love you. And maybe taking our power back from shame looks like saying to someone, hey, here's what I'm experiencing. I have a really hard time getting places on time. Here's what I'm going through. Here's what I'm experiencing, right? And not an excuse, but an explanation to provide mutual understanding, to provide context, to provide a foundational framework for problem solving and collaboration to happen, right? I know for myself, when I have expressed my challenges to other people in my life, right, I, I would hesitate to do that because it's like, oh, no, I need to figure out myself and, you know, it's not their problem, blah, blah, blah. But when I would actually do it, the beautiful thing that happens is we do get to come together and we get to problem solve together. And the amazing thing about that is other people's ideas often very much help me break away from my all or nothing thinking. And so when we have these conversations with our people of being like, hey, I'm really struggling, you know, um, I'm coming in late, like, here's what's happening. Can I talk to you about it? Let's problem solve together. Let's come up with a solution. Let's compromise. Like, how are you feeling? You know, how can I meet your needs? Is there anything we can do? Maybe it's just as simple as sending a text. Hey, I'm going to be late. Like, whatever, right? You work that out together. But it is such a powerful way to break away from our brains, all or nothing thinking, to have these open and direct conversations with people of like, hey, this is what's going on. And so the other thing I really want to say about this is, when it comes to radical self-acceptance and when it comes to harm reduction, because you know, these are my two approaches that I absolutely love more than anything when it comes to an ADHD acceptance journey. Radical self-acceptance looks like not saying to ourselves every single time, oh, yep, I'm not going to be late. Don't be late. Don't be late. Radical self-acceptance looks like saying to ourselves, yeah, I am going to be late. How can I support myself through this? Yes, I will be late to this. So what can I do that will honor my needs and help me in being late? Right? It flips the table. I think so often we can have this cycle of like, all right, this time I won't be late. Okay, next time. This is never going to happen again. Surely this will be the time that I'm not late. And we enter these like negative feedback loops where we're still finding ourselves in the same pattern. And so by flipping the narrative and flipping the script and saying, okay, part of my identity is I am someone who is late. Let me embrace that. Let me accept that. It means that we are creating conscious awareness around this. We're no longer just pushing it away and saying, oh my gosh, I'm just not going to think about it. Ah, nervous system dysregulation. I'm in flight. We are saying, I'm going to create safety here. I'm going to create safety in my nervous system here. I'm going to be someone who is late. And with that, it means that we were able to actually look at the thing, right? Look at ourselves, look at our situation, our scenario, see ourselves exactly where we are. And in this way, we are able to problem solve and support and use harm reductive approaches to help ourselves be maybe a little bit less late or maybe embrace that being late is actually okay. And the people that love and care about us are really, really, really okay with it. 
Um, oh my gosh, there was one more thing I wanted to say on that term. But anyway, you get how it is. <laughs> you guys have ADHD, so I know you get it. Okay, so I think I was talking about radical self-acceptance, harm reduction. Oh, yes. All right. I remember now. So here's the thing. Here's a core principle for you today. More shame, right? The more shame we put on ourselves, the more judgment, the more we beat ourselves up, the more that we are hard on ourselves about being late, the later we are going to be. So the more we beat ourselves up and berate ourselves and say, oh my gosh, I did it again. What the heck's wrong with me? The later we are going to be. Because again, we're creating more nervous system dysregulation. We're going to want to avoid and run away and push away even more. So when we can create safety, when we can create conscious awareness, when we can accept ourselves exactly as we are, we are regulating our nervous system and there's going to be less shame. And so it is more likely for us to be less late. Not that that's a big deal. You know, I got to tell you, I pretty much every single one of my clients show up like five to 15 minutes late and it is literally never a problem for me. And I always am the person that, you know, I have to say like, hey, it's okay. It is really, really okay. It doesn't bother me. It doesn't, you know, because I know I've been on the other side of it. I get it. I know exactly, you know, the fear of worrying, oh my gosh, this person must think that this isn't important to me. And I know that's not true. And so when we communicate that with other people and we tell our people, hey, here's what's happening and I need you to know how important you are to me, I think that can be a really, really big source of alleviation. So that's what I wanted to share today. I hope this was helpful. And whether you experience the more external or the more internal structural facet of time blindness and the nonlinear perception of time. I've hoped you've gotten some really, really useful nuggets out of this. All right, guys, have a great week. I'll talk to you later. Bye.